What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and I've got special guest Mike Mutzel of Metabolic Mike on the line today, and we're going to dive into biohacking, mouth taping, probably a little bit of everything, uh, so I'm excited about this one for sure. How are you, Mike? Hey, doing good, brother. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So I met you, I believe, on the low carb cruise this year. Um, but kind of dive in and give the audience a little bio on you. Kind of what brought you into the keto space and the biohacking scene. Like, what, what was your what was your motivation to kind of bio? I guess. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think we we met in the weight room of all places, right? So that was kind of cool on the yeah. on the low carb cruise. They had a, a minimalist weight room. I think they had a Smith machine. You guys were doing some legs, if I remember, maybe some biceps, something like that. So it was fun to. Uh, we were both up and at it early in the morning, even on vacation. That's how you have to do it. Right. So, you know what? I just naturally, like I grew, grew up in the eighties, you know, uh, I, I was very interested from an early age in, in the aesthetic physique, uh, loved Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jean-Claude Van Damme, like, and I, so I had an older, uh, siblings that were kind of were rough on me and all that. So, so from a young age, like I wanted to build muscle. I started, you know, um, getting a natural interest in that. I started lifting like I think I've been lifting five days a week since I was 14. Um, and you know, then I, I hurt my back when I was in college deadlifting. I used to, I still sumo deadlift and that kind of took me out of weightlifting for a little while. And so I, I wasn't really, because I literally like squatting, just doing overhead presses, anything, just pull-ups would hurt my back. And it was really like a depressing period of my life. So my dad was big into road biking. And this was back when Lance Armstrong was winning multiple Tour de France's and He's like, Hey, let's go for a ride, Mike. So I started to go on a, on a bike ride with my dad and like really took to it because I had been lifting weights for so long and played football and all that. And, uh, started bike racing competitively and, you know, thought, man, maybe, you know, this whole bodybuilding thing is not good for me because my back. So, um, but then when I started racing on a, on a high level, wanted to be a pro bike racer, bike rider, if you will. Um, I started to get like, every time I, I would stand up, I would get dizzy and lightheaded. I started to get depressed. I, I lost so much muscle, got really skinny and had like constipation and all these health issues. And we're talking, this was like in 2004, 2005. And so I was a pre-med student, biology student in college at that time. And I thought, okay, I'll just go to the doctor and maybe they can figure out what's going on with me because I didn't know there was such a thing as overtraining. I mean, I had common sense. Like if you train too much, they, you know, might cause you to be tired, but I didn't know there was this phenomenon called overtraining syndrome and that it affected your hormone levels and all that. So anyway, go to the school doctor and they didn't ask me about my exercise, my diet, my sleep, nothing. She just said, oh, I think you need to just be put on an antidepressant. And I'm like, what? Like, I don't think that's the solution to, you know, what's going on here. So anyway, I just took to PubMed and started doing research and figured out there's this whole body of research in athletes and, and soldiers where they're exposed to chronic physical stress and how it affects their gut and their gut bacteria and their hormones and their sleep. And I was like, why didn't this doctor at least ask any of these questions? You know, I thought that was a little bit rudimentary just to jump on an antidepressant. So anyway, I, I came across this field called integrative or functional medicine, um, started work. This was in 06, started working as a consultant for this nutrition company that sold products just to doctors and, and got really exposed to this whole field that way. Um, and then had some friends back in uh, 2015 that were doing the ketogenic diet, you know, fast forward about 10 years after I've been in that industry. Um, a buddy of mine, Alessandro Ferretti, who does a lot, of, he, 
you know, he's a big into jujitsu. He's an athlete, but he he really likes a ketogenic diet for how it affects heart rate variability, which we can define in a minute. But, you know, once we started talking about how the keto diet is much bigger than just cutting out your carbs and increasing your fat, like it has this major sweeping uh, impact on your immune system, on, on your, uh, you know, neurology and your hormone levels and your neurotransmitters. Um, then I got really intrigued by this because, you know, I had seen people in the fitness space do the keto diet for weight loss and stuff. And I was like, well, there's many different ways to approach weight loss. Um, but then again, once, once Alessandro and I started talking, I got super excited, geeked out and then started interviewing a bunch of people diving into the PubMed research, talking to scientists. And here we are today in 2018, uh, over three years later. So. Man, I got, I got a lot of questions. So <laughs> just, just to rewind <laughs> a little bit, man, what, what exactly did you do your back? You were doing sumos and, and what happened? Yeah. So I was doing sumo deadlifts. Um, it was, uh, after I was dieting down for like, you know, how, you know, 21 year old college kid thinks, you know, you, you got spring break and girls and all that. And I was uh, going to school at Northern Arizona University and we would always go to Lake Havasu for spring break. And so, you know, all my friends, we we're all into weightlifting and stuff like that. So it was who had the sh most shredded abs and all that. So we were, we were dieting down. I had four plates on the bar and it was like my last rep, my last set, just a little fatigued, probably a little depleted. And, uh, I just felt like the, the most excruciating pain in my back. And, and, you know, I had an MRI and all that. Um, basically the, uh, the ligaments in there, the inguinal ligaments and, and other ligaments just got stretched and, and everything. So it put me out for the whole summer. Like I could still do push-ups, kind of like it really totally caused me to reassess my whole health because I had never had any health issues up to that point in my life. And so, um, but, you know, I just did a powerlifting competition this weekend. I, so the most weight I've deadlifted since that injury on Sunday at now I'm 36 now. Um, so I, it doesn't sound like much to you, but pulled, um, was it 320 for just, it was like my, my last, and I could have gone more, like it came up pretty easy, but I've been so guarding that injury for like, you know, long, long, mm -hmm. time. so it felt really good. So my goal is just to get back to four plates and be able to pull that. Maybe. No, that's awesome, man. I mean, it's, it's, it sucks that you had to go through the injury. But if that kind of was the catalyst factor that, that made you put more of a thought into, you know, injury prevention and being proactive with it, it's, it's a good thing in the end, at the, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, it's a good point. You know, there's this book, I don't, I don't know if you've heard about it, Robert, but it's uh, The Gift of Injury. I think Stuart McGill wrote that. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we do learn a lot from injuries and, and they suck. Like when you're in the throes of an injury, whatever it is, a shoulder, low back, you know, some people have knee issues, uh, elbows, you know, stuff like that. When you're in the throes of it, uh, especially if, if your whole identity is based upon your physique, like, you know, because you spend a lot of time in the gym or whatever, um, it can really mess with your mindset. And so for me, that was one of the things where I realized, like, you know what, I I've put so much energy and interest into fitness up to that point in my life. I need to kind of diversify a little bit and focus more on academics, focus more on my social skills. Like, I, you know, because for me, it was like my body was like my temple. Uh, that was kind of my, my thing. And, you know, I wanted other people to like, look at me and knew that I worked out. And so having that injury was a, was a good personal development pivot for me. Cause it realized, I made me, myself realize that like, I got to work on other things because, you know, eventually you're going to age and naturally lose muscle or naturally lose your physique a little bit. I'm sure we can, you know, um, kind of, you know, uh, uh, augment that with healthy lifestyle choices to a certain extent. But it, it it caused me to want to become more balanced anyway. So I think it was a good thing, but um, 
Yeah. And, and now I do a lot of core stuff. Like part of my morning routine is just getting my abs strong, getting the core strong, focusing on bracing. You know, th back when I hurt my back, we didn't have Instagram. We didn't have all this stuff. We have so many great resources now on how to lift properly. So I think it's good for anyone that's embarking on learning how to. Well, actually, I mean, there's great research. I mean, if people are listening and they don't exercise, there's really good research showing. I'm sure you've seen this out of Europe, like hand grip strength. Mm -hmm. You're when you lose strength, it literally it's a proxy or it's suggestive of poor quality of life and increased risk of age related chronic diseases like dementia, Alzheimer's, neurodegenerative conditions, cancer, heart disease. Right. So strength is something I think we should all strive for. And I like to encourage all my clients to do so because, you know, a lot of us get involved in keto or get excited about keto for its ability to rapidly and successfully burn fat. So we focus so much on burning fat, burning fat. But my goal, what I like to pivot my clients to reframe how they approach keto is build strength. And, and that will, a side effect of that will be fat loss, right? Because it's easy just to hop on the treadmill for an hour and just, you know, you can burn a lot of fat doing that, but it's not really going to help you in the post-workout window as you know, like weightlifting. Right. hundred percent, hundred percent. And, and, to kind of hinge off of that, one of my biggest frustrations, man, is I see, you know, so many people that are just, you know, not into the training, not into lifting weights because they have this, you know, negative stigma of what that becomes or what they'll look like. And they just don't want to look like a, you know, magazine cover. But I mean, in all honesty, lifting weights and resistance training is probably the, the, the least likely to injure you and kind of acts more as like the, the fountain of youth more so than any other any other form of training that I've come across. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's probably like the best, the single best thing you could do for a longevity perspective. Oh, 100%. I mean, there's a lot of people that talk about, you know, muscle is this organ of longevity uh, and, and so forth. But yeah, I mean, a lot of people get confused be because they see, uh, they go to the gym, they might see a, a, a woman or female with a lot of muscle or a man with a lot of muscle. And what you don't realize is how much dedication, how much work, it took to put that on like putting on muscle is not just one of these things that, that just kind of happens when you look at weights right a lot of people have that perception you have to really work for it and i you know having been a personal trainer having read a million fitness magazines worked at gyms traveled you know and, and been at various gyms throughout the world um you know it, it's not that easy to put on muscle so so you're not i mean with all due respect you know it takes a lot of dedication so don't think that don't let um that fear holds you back from getting into the gym. And, and some of these people that we see in gyms, you know, they're also on anabolic agents, right? Whether it's SARMs, mm -hmm. whether it's growth hormone, whether, you know, whether it's drugs and steroids. Um, I, I did steroids in college too. And that was part of the reason why I hurt my back. Uh, I did two cycles of steroids and, you know, you, you put on a lot of size, you put on a lot of strength, but then when you come off, you get really weak. And that was part of what played into my injury. And so the point of letting people know about that is, you know, with, without those agents, it's, it's, it's really hard naturally in a short period of time to put on a ton of muscle. So I just want to let people know about that. Um, but on the flip side, you know, cause I did do a lot of bike racing and stuff like that. I've seen people when they increase their cardio, they actually get fatter, which is crazy to think about because what happens when we go to the weight room and we hit the weights hard, we squat, we deadlift, we do pull-ups, we do push-ups, all those great movements. Um, we don't know how many calories we burn. We just think we had a good workout. So we, you know, the mindset is, all right, I want to eat to kind of repair my muscle. But when you go out and you do a lot of cardio, even if you're on the elliptical for 45 minutes, for example, uh, or whatever, 
you have the, you, you see how many calories you burn. So you, you see, oh man, I burned 700 calories or 400 calories, whatever. So then in, in your mind, you think, well, I can afford to eat that cookie, that cake, that cracker, that whatever, right? And so you, you kind of have this reward-based eating system going on. And a lot of people, what I, what I saw when I was doing bike racing, when the season would come on and we would start training, I would, these guys that I would ride with, I would literally every week see them getting fatter, even though they're training more. So it created this re weird reward system with food. And so you don't see that as much with weight training. And so I love to encourage people to do that. And, and if you don't mind, I'd love to kind of talk about the psychology, kind of like what you were saying, alluding to earlier about, you know, you're, you're like, you lose something that you've worked so hard for. And, you know, like you said, with the, with the bike riding, when you went into that, you know, you, you obviously lose a lot of sizes to total different stimulus to the muscles and you get more of a longer leaner tissue as opposed to like the, the bodybuilding bulk, so to speak. And then especially kind of, you mentioned that you had done two cycles of, you know, anabolic steroids and you get that initial, you know, big bump in, in strength and size. What is it? I mean, like, honestly, for me, I've been scared to, to do that because it's like, an, I'm a very extremist, like addictive personality. Like if I was to, to do that, I feel like it would be harder to say, you know, no and cycle off and kind of do it the right way. And, you know, yeah. same, that's been the same reason I've, you know, declined going into more endurance sports because I didn't want to sacrifice the size and muscle I've built over the years in my bodybuilding training. So for you kind of having done both, what's, what's that like, man? What's it like to, to work so hard to build the size and, and the shape and the aesthetics and then see it kind of reverse the other way? Yeah, man. Well, that's such a great question. No one's ever uh, asked me about that. Um, and the reason why I like to be transparent about drug use and stuff like that is because I, I see this, it's so, way more common than anyone would ever imagine, you know? Um, I mean, even in, in, on YouTube land, Instagram land, a lot of people, uh, I can, and I can just tell because I've been there, you know, I used to, it's crazy. I can't even believe I'm in this stuff, but I used to make steroids in our college fraternity and sell them, you know, to, to my friends and football players and stuff like that. Like, I wasn't like a drug dealer, but, but there was ways where you can make like a uh, trend or Finaflex. Um, you can just you know, buy a kit and make it on the internet uh, and stuff like that. So yeah, it's, I want to help prevent a lot of people from going down this path because especially as men, um, you know, you, we work out hard, we eat hard, we recover, we do all it takes. And sometimes, you know, the growth can be slow. I mean, the growth of your body and, and steroids is a, you fast track. I mean, every time you go to the gym, you're bigger and you're stronger. And that's why uh, it's so, it's not physically addictive, like cocaine or something like that, but it's so psychologically addictive and, and people, they get hooked on it because when you come off, you lose size and actually your testosterone levels go down way lower than they were when you started. And so you even can shrink, you know, you can be smaller than you were when you, when you actually started. So I want to help prevent, you know, men from going down that path because it, it's hard to get your natural hormone levels back. And then, so the natural, it, it just creates this vicious cycle where you're on the stuff, you come off, you're smaller, you're weaker, you're not confident, your libido sucks. And then, so you go back on and then you have a lot of these guys now. And I have friends never that, go off. like I said, they oh. never come off. And this is known as blasting cruise. And so a lot of people are just blasting, cruising, blasting, cruising. What that means is they're cruising on say, 100 milligrams of testosterone or 150 milligrams of testosterone, which is like on the, on the high end of HRT or hormone replacement therapy levels. 
And then maybe three or four times a year, they'll crank it up to 500 milligrams of testosterone a week. Some guys, I mean, there's some gyms that I've been to where these guys are on two grams of testosterone a week, which is way, I mean, so they're huge. They're the mass, mass monsters and, and you can see it, right? But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it, it's psychologically addicting because what happens, and I think it's even more so, Robert, right now, because on Instagram, right? So, you know, if I were to do a cycle right now and put on a bunch of masks, right? And I started taking selfies, I started filming my workouts and all that. Um, then I come off and I'm shrinking. Then it's like, whoa, like people are going to know. They're going to see and they're going to see a difference. So it's, I think it's even harder now for people because, the, you know, what used to be private is now public because we're posting mm-hmm. all of our meals on Instagram stories, workouts on Instagram stories. So I really feel and fear for some of the men out there because, and women too. I mean, a, a lot of chicks are on Anavar and stuff in the fitness space because Anavar gets you shredded. And just as an aside, I mean, this conversation, um, we kind of got off keto, but it, but it, it's interesting, the hormonal aspects of anabolics and, and anabolic agents, they really drive hepatic ketogenesis and the formation of ketones in the liver and so there's a lot of so like are really if you think about some of the people that really like keto and benefit from keto um a lot of them are are kind of anabolic in nature if you if you think about some of the people out there they're promoting the carnivorous diet promoting the ketogenic diet um they're really probably more especially the women too more androgenic in nature they have probably higher levels of androgens and it seems that those hormones, and I've read a lot of, re- there's, I think, three or four reports about Anavar and other anabolics and how they, they stimulate the fat burning process and the ability to synthesize and make ketones. And so if you think about a lot of the, the women in the fitness space, they get really shredded, like you can see their abs and their serratus anterior, and like they're dialed in with a lot of, a lot of lean muscle mass. Um, some of those, I'm not saying all of them, but some of them are on Anavar, and Anavar really helps women. Um, get into a ketogenic state. Now, I'm not promoting antivar use at all. I'm just saying it's kind of interesting that that's one of the side effects uh, of, of taking these compounds. But you know, getting back to your question, yeah, I mean, your your mindset gets totally wrapped up into it, into how you look and stuff like that. So, you know, when I when I was really into the bodybuilding thing, you know, did those two cycles of, of juice and stuff, and I realized like, man, this is just not good long term. I already hurt my back. Uh, yeah, I can't. Yeah. I don't, and I did, I wanted to dis- disassociate from that crowd that I was hanging out with. So yeah, I got into the more, the, the cardio side and you could still have that high intensity training. I could still go climb hills and sprint. And it, I had that feeling of like kind of that pain and suffering that you feel when you're squatting and you know, you're like, oh man, I don't even know if I can do this one last rep, but I'm going to do it anyway. Like that grit, which I like. So mm-hmm. I just started to identify with being fast on the bike. And so that became, instead of being big and muscular and vascular, you know, and having that be kind of my identity, if you will, it, it transformed into, okay, how can I just be super fast and then beat other people? And so I would just, there was these group rides in the cycling world and there was a lot of pros that showed up and I was just like, all right, how can I smoke all these people? Like I can just, you know, cause in biking there's like breakaways and you can like ride in front of the group and like what they call shadow the field. And so it causes everyone to try to grab on your wheel because a lot of biking is all about um reducing like how much how much air friction because like when you're riding a bike mm-hmm. the faster you go the more and more wind is slowing you down so you're trying to like ride on people's wheel and like get behind them so that they're getting all the wind and you don't have to pedal as hard anyway 
So I got that became my identity is like, how fast can I be? How many people can I beat? You know, it, which was stupid when I think about it in hindsight. But a lot of us that don't have fulfillment in other areas of our life, like our relationships, our business, you know, our parents, whatever, we seek fulfillment through athletics. Or, and that's a total fine outlet. I'm not poo-pooing that. But back then, I didn't have meaningful relationships. Now I have a daughter. I have a great wife. I didn't have those things. And so that was kind of my outlet. Yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, that's very true, man. Like I look at my life and like each chapter of my life, there, there's always, there's always something. I think the moral of the story is always be trying to perfect yourself and be the best that you can be in, in some genre. I mean, if you're at a stage in life where you don't have the family, you don't have the wife and kids, then, you know, doing something that that's a healthy, you know, thing like, like athletics is a worthwhile pursuit of your time and energy. Um, but having something good overall, I mean, there's so many people out there that just, are lost and they turn to like a negative outlet. And I don't know, I think having something good to be pouring yourself into is, is key. Well, let's, let's dive into, let's dive into some of the biohacking, man. Like you, like I just spent 30 seconds on your Instagram before this call and like each, <laughs> each picture and images of some, you know, new technique or, or hack or something. So let, let's just kind of pick apart some of those, man. Like what, what's, what's hot on your mind right now? What are, what are you excited about now? Yeah. Great question there. Um, there's so many things. I mean, you know, and I know that biohacking term gets thrown around a lot and stuff. And I think it, it, it's cool. But um, what I like to do is just do what people do naturally in other parts of the world. Uh, for example, I was in Ireland about a year ago. And part of the culture there, have you ever been to Dublin or Ireland by chance? I have not. Not yet. Okay. Yeah, you, it's people are so amazing. I mean, that's where we get the Kerrygold butter. It's in like all the restaurants, all the grocery stores. Like it's just a thing there. But anyhow, um, part of the culture is people jump into the, this water. I think they call it the Sea of Man or something like that. And it, it, we're talking the Atlantic Ocean. I mean, it's cold as heck. Ireland is pretty far north, um, you know, and so forth. So, I, I, you know, I just have seen what different people do and how they live. And so I'm just trying to bring that into our life as much as possible. And so we talk a lot about, you know, the benefits of exercise, because when you exercise, you cause adaptations. And in the post-workout window, that's when your body recovers and it gets stronger for the next event, right? And so we can kind of trigger our body that same way when it comes to heat and cold. And so we call this in the world of biohacking, if you will, uh, thermal stress. And so we, we can cause adaptations in our body through both high heat, like sauna therapy, which can be huge, particularly in the post-workout window for increasing growth hormone, testosterone, repairing. Um, there's all kinds of brain-derived neurotrophic factor, BDNF, that increases also with fasting. And um, there's some good research with the ketogenic diet. So all these therapies are synergistic and congruent with what we're trying to do uh, or what we're trying to achieve when we go into a state of ketosis, right? So um, the, the sauna after working out, that's been just a game changer for me and, um, just a productivity tip for, for folks out there. I mean, I do a lot of my reading, meditating in the sauna. I find that when I read in the sauna, you can retain so much more information. So it's like a great time to do that. And interesting, Robert, there was a sauna on our low carb cruise and, uh, the night before my talk. So one of the ways that I calm myself down is going in the sauna. You feel this, this great elation, like you're really calm, but. It was interesting um, when I was going into the sauna the night because we were, Deanna and I were speaking, I think like first thing in the morning or whatever on the last day. And I was like, all right, I just want to sleep good and all that. So I'm gonna, I went in the sauna about 9 p.m. And there was this fella from uh, Russia in there. 
and he had all these towels around the doors to prevent um you know cold air from leaking out and all that like it was really really hot like i could barely it was over 200 degrees right so you know mm -hmm. sauna use and then jumping in cold plunges I mean, we call it biohacking which it is right but it's these are things that people in different parts of the world do anyway just to feel good and so um if you're not doing sauna therapy folks you, you've got to try that i mean it, it's and for um detoxifying various persistent organic pollutants heavy metals you know it, you know when we hear the word detox it brings up these weird you know trendy um you know things that you buy maybe whole foods or something that's going to cause you to be on the toilet all day but our bodies are constantly detoxing like our liver right now you and i talking anyone listening your liver is literally metabolizing detoxing things that you drank things that you're breathing in through your environment uh and hormones are metabolized through that so your body's constantly doing that and one of the ways that you can help to eliminate some of the more harmful things like cadmium lead mercury these are things in our air food and water that unfortunately we just can't avoid nowadays uh, because the world's getting more populated, more industrial, you know, practices and things along those lines. So sweating, whether it's through, you know, hot yoga, whether it's through exercise, whether it's, whether it's through the sauna is a great way to help get rid of those things. But of course, if you're going to do the sauna or if you're on a keto diet, you need to increase your real salt intake because that's part of it. One of the big mistakes I made is right when I started getting into keto was around the time that I was starting to get interested in sauna therapy. And I didn't know that, you know, you needed to have at least or more than four grams of real salt per day. So I started to get really constipated and I'm like, what's going on with this? And, and thankfully, you know, I was talking with friends and Alessandro and realized that you need to increase your salt intake. So that's part of it. And one of the things that Deanna and I have been doing for the past year or so is just cold plunges first thing in the morning. So anywhere you are in the world, or at least in North America, just Google a tractor supply store and you can buy a 110 gallon horse trough, fill it up with the hose. We even sometimes fill it up with with rainwater, so it's really cold. It's just an amazing way to kickstart your day, activate brown adipose tissue. Again, these are all you know physiologic, uh, kind of they they correlate and pair well with the ketogenic diet because these are kind of mitochondrial based therapies, right? Your brown adipose tissue is enriched in mitochondria, just like your muscles are. So it's a great way to to synergize with the keto diet, and then. Oftentimes what I'll do is before bed. Now it took me a while to get used to this, but before bed, jumping in the cold plunge as well. And your sleep can just go through the roof. And so your deep sleep scores, your recovery, you know, your dream recall, all that is amazing. So, um, yeah, I mean, one of the things that I like to emphasize to people is changing your diet is a wonderful first step, but it's just that it's just one of many steps that hopefully all of us will do, you know, in this, in this you know, quest for great energy, mental clarity, and really keeping disease at bay and keeping us vital. Like I, I would just want to be strong into my 60s, 70s and beyond, you know, and I think um, the resiliency that you garner from being able to tolerate high heat and extremes and cold, I mean, we call that strength or resilience. And that's one of the things that's lacking in a lot of people. Like we've all met people that, you know, they have allergies, they have food sensitivities, they have this, they're very emotionally sensitive, you know, we could kind of characterize that as they're not very resilient, right? And so that's what I encourage people to do is to build their resilience through their diet, through fasting. Fasting builds great resilience. And what we just talked about, the thermal stress, that the, the extreme temperatures, both cold and hot, is a great way to kind of um, work that resilience muscle.
Man, I love, I love where you just took that because I'm, I'm all about the mindset. And, you know, when I could find ways to synergize, you know, the mindset with the physical implications I put throughout the day, that, that's just key. And you, you're absolutely right in that we live in a day and age in which, you know, especially in America, we live in a first world country. I mean, most of us have everything that we need for basic survival and happiness at our fingertips. Most of us. And, you know, you, you know, rewind hundreds of years ago you'd wake up and it would be like a matter of survival, right? Like you, you might be going to war, you might be, you know, having to hunt your food and we just don't have to deal with that anymore. So there's no, there's no externally imposed hardships. So you basically have to create those own hardships in order to keep your body and your mind, you know, sharp and, and become resilient. So, I mean, that, that's honestly my addiction for, for training. I, training's become my battlefront. Basically when I go to the gym, that that's my war zone in which I can, you know, self-impose these hardships, that and business, obviously, and just everything that you bring into your equation that pushes you past your comfort zone. I think not enough people, you know, bring these self-imposed hardships on because they don't need to. They're not, they don't happen naturally, but you have to go out and freaking look for them. You have to, you have to want to have a, a sucky day to become a better person by the end of it. Oh man, I, that's beautiful. And that, and that really speaks to your, your open mindset. You know, there's, there's a great book um, by a Stanford researcher. Have you read it? Uh, it's called Mindset. I think it's Carol Dweck. I have not, but I will I would add that to my list for sure. Oof, it's a good one, guys. Anyone listening, and, and it, it speaks to everything you just said, Robert, because, you know, growth comes through those hard times, right? You don't grow as a person physically or emotionally or spiritually through having it so easy. And like you said, I mean, we're in this era where, I mean, literally, if you wanted to, you would never even have to leave your house. You could order all your food on Uber Eats or some Instacart. Um, you could have your Tinder set up so you're, you're dating. You just have people come to your house. You didn't even have to go outside. You, know, you, don't, you can pay all your bills. Like, but it's become way too convenient, way too easy. And I have a funny story on that. So about this time, October of last year, our furnace broke in our house and we live in Seattle. It gets pretty cold. It snows about two to three times a year. And I told Deanna and it was, it was part of it, to be honest, was like a financial issue. I'm like, I don't know if, because we, we didn't, every summer we always do a lot of repairs, which I usually do myself or with my stepdad mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, and so this, our furnace broke and I'm like, Deanna, we're going to make it as long as we can without the furnace. Like we're already doing the sauna. We're doing the cold plunge. We can do this. We can make it through a winter without a furnace. And um, she was like, well, it's going to be uncomfortable. I'm like, that's fine. Because her, my wife's mother is from uh, London. And I remember a conversation that I had when I first met her. And she was like, you know, when I grew up as a kid and she's in her seventies now, I think she's 72. So she said, you know, we didn't have heat in our home. What we had is this in, in London, these flats that they lived in was this tube that went down in the middle of the house and was filled with like oil and they would light it on fire. And so if your bedroom was not near the central part of the house, you just froze your butt off in the middle of the night. And she was like, yeah. it made us stronger. And she was talking about, I didn't even stimulate this conversation. She was just talking about how kids nowadays are so, you know, they, they want everything so comfortable. They don't even walk to school. They drive to school and all that. And so anyway, I, I was, you know, reminding myself of that conversation with uh, my wife's mom. And, and so I'm like, you know, Deanna, we're not buying the furnace and we can make it. And she was like, all right, let's do it. And so we made it all through the winter. And it was funny when we would, you know, friends would come over or whatever, like, isn't it cold in here? We're like, no, we're, we're good. Like we just adapted to it. Right. And so people are so much stronger than they think. And, you know, we just realize that like, 
you know, we think we can't do this. We think we can't start that business. We think we can't go talk to that person because like you said, we don't have these self-imposed hardships. So, you know, you go in and have a great workout, even when maybe you're tired or fatigued because you're working on your business, you know, you realize that anything is really possible for that day. You can, you can talk to that person. You can send that extra email. You can do that extra phone call and whatever it is. So I think, um, a lot of, People need that reminder and we, we need these constant sources of stimulus because like you said, our world is so comfortable. And so, so normally I talk a lot more about like nutrition and like the, the science and the research and all that stuff, but we're, we're totally going on this, this mindset rabbit hole because we got <laughs> some momentum going here. Yeah. Um, so, so with that said, hard question here, this, this is a very hard question, but what is the most challenging, like difficult hardship you've experienced to date and that that can include you know physical or you know emotional you know being a father just like wh what has been the one thing i mean kind of life is accumulation of all these things but if you could pinpoint one thing and say wow I'd, I'd never been tested as much as i was here what would that be oh man robert this is a great question yeah i i too thought we we're going to talk about all the science but i you know what a lot of people need i think nowadays is like a a, a reboot mentally anyways because we have programming from you know, negative thoughts and beliefs and all that. But to answer your question, so back in 2013, I got fired. And let me just, let me just back up a little bit. So I, as I kind of alluded to, I've been a consultant in this functional medicine space and I've been working basically selling dietary supplements for, for companies that only provide supplements to doctors. So there's this whole industry a lot of people don't even know about that exists. It's called the doctor only practitioner channel. And I was, um, basically in business with these guys and, you know, I, I, you know, we were living in Colorado for about seven years. I was really established within this company and had this idea to develop the business in Washington State in the Pacific Northwest in Portland, Idaho, Washington, and all that because the business was not really doing that well over there. So it was my idea. I moved. My wife's a chiropractor. We sold her business. So we went all in. We And we invested a lot of money in stock in this company. And so about two years into it, and it was it was all because of my behavior, which I can explain in a minute. Um, it was right after my birthday. I had this very successful webinar with David Perlmutter. We had like 2,000 people on the webinar. He launched this book, Grain Brain, which some of the people may, may know about. And the next day, about six in the morning, my boss is calling me. And my, I'm like, what? Why is he calling me so early in the morning? It was weird. And I pick up the phone and he goes, hey, Mike, your services are no longer needed. And it was like my whole everything. I could feel like blood going through my veins. I'm like, Oh crap. Like, what do you mean? Like, no, 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 let's talk about this. And there was no negotiation it was it. It was like, it's over. Don't contact any customers. You're done. And that was like, I basically was getting kicked out of my tribe, you know, cause a lot of my social connections were wrapped up into this gig. And so that was super hard on me. And then I had to do so much self-reflection because I was like, well, why did this happen? Because it wasn't a numbers thing because the business was going well. And I had to come to terms with the fact that the way that I was communicating with other people was not cool. And there was a lot of, you know, you know, how should we say there was writing on the wall, but I just didn't see it. And I, mm -hmm. I was just getting too cocky. I was getting ahead of myself. I wasn't communicating like I should. And so it really caused me to go down this personal development, you know, learn more about emotional intelligence, nonverbal cues, things that I'm still working on all the time um, about how I communicate with email, how like, how I, how I communicate with people and compose emails, all those things I just realized, like I was really kind of being a jerk, you know? So, so that was 
And then eventually, like two weeks later, we worked ourselves out and then I was still maintained like a 1099 consulting gig and actually still do to this day with those guys. But, um, but we went through like, we had to go through that to, to like repair our relationship. And actually now things are really cool and they're still mentors, you know, and I, it was a blessing, you know? So, so again, like I talked about that, that book, the gift of injury, you know, when I hurt my back and was debilitated, I couldn't really work out like I wanted to. I thought my world is over. This is it. Like, what am I going to do? But these, these hardships, you know, cause you, there's a lot of growth that can come from that. And so I'm, I'm so grateful for that opportunity because if I, you know, if they didn't fire, um, I probably would have never started my YouTube channel. I wouldn't have wrote the book Belly Fat Effect because I had been that, that book that I wrote back in 2014. I published it in 2014, wrote it in 2012. I was just, it was just sitting there. I really had no fire to finish it, but it caused, you know, getting fired, getting basically kicked out of this tribe that I was in caused me to really work on myself and finish projects and really, you know, follow through on, on things. And so it seemed tough at the time, but it was a blessing in disguise. No, man, I, I love it. I think um, career path and like financial, like just pitfalls seems to be like oftentimes the, the you know, catalyzing factor to, to force people to change. And it's funny, like hardships in general, they, they all carry a pretty similar tune. I mean, you, you can describe your hardships and I can describe my hardships and they would be very different, but they would have the, the very similar message and, and we use a lot of the same words. It, it's funny to me that at the end of the day, it all, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of cliche. Like we always say, you know, hardships is what makes you successful. It's what makes you into the person that you want to become. I don't understand why, you know, that is obviously the case. Like, like people that are successful say those same words over and over and over, but people seem still unwilling to put themselves in a position of hardship. And I don't know where, where that disconnect is. Like now I freaking smile and, and just feed off of it. Like when I know things are, are just in the, tank and things are just harder than I've ever been before, I'm, I'm smiling because I know something great's about to happen. But I think that's less common now. I don't, I don't know why. Like, I'm confused as to the human race. It's such a good point, right? I mean, you look at Tony Robbins, you look at Brendan Bouchard, you look at all these people that have major influence, multiple New York Times bestselling books, like when they have seminars, thousands of people go, they say exactly what you just said. But, but I think Part of it is a lot of us, um, the human brain, how it's wired and stuff, we, we want to minimize risk and we want to minimize bad outcomes, right? You've already, we've heard the saying, anyone in business knows that people will pay more to avoid pain than to gain pleasure, right? We just, we really, we don't like loss. It's just one of these things that just, for whatever reason, how we're, we're wired. And so I think that's what we're, we're trying to avoid. And so people even know if people quit their job, which might cause them to lose 25 grand a year, 50 grand a year, whatever they're getting paid, but they know that they can start a business that would make more. They, they have these, what we call golden handcuffs. So they're just handcuffed, even though they know they could make more if they do the work. They're just, they're, you know, they're, they don't want to have that loss, right? And so a lot of us, you know, stick around in bad relationships because we don't want to lose that person, but we know we could have a better relationship, but we're just kind of like, eh. So I, I just think it's how we're, we're wired. It's crazy. But, you know, your mindset, Robert, is obviously very unique. So many people don't have that mindset of growth and, and so forth. And I think it's something we should all try to exercise and, and flex that growth muscle and embrace that adversity and so forth. Because one law of the universe is everything passes, right? Those bad moments, 
you know, when I was overtraining and could literally barely get out of bed and depressed, um, that passed. It, everything passes. Those bad moments, the good moments, unfortunately, are going to pass too, right? And so we just need to realize that. Um, and you know, whether heaven forbid, um, someone that we really care about passes away or dies or something bad happens to us, one thing that I learned from Brendan Bouchard is that's not the first. We're not the only person in humanity that's ever lost someone that we care about or who's ever been fired or who's ever been first or hurt. People have been there before and they've overcome that, right? And so we just need to realize that if someone else can do it, so can we. And so um, just to embrace that mindset. Yeah, I totally agree. And I mean, the, the time passes anyway. So I mean, you can either spend that time working towards your goal or, or staying stagnant. But I mean, the time will pass either way. So you might as well be moving the needle in the right direction. I'm assuming you've read the book, The Obstacle is the Way, right? Oh, man, I love, yeah. Ryan Holiday, he's amazing. I was going to say, if you hadn't, you definitely, definitely need to read that. That's probably, and I've said this on multiple podcasts, but if there's any one book that has the most, you know, mind changing effect, that, that one has been it for me, hands down. I literally listen to that on repeat on Audible whenever I'm doing a contest prep or going through like a hardship, like that's, that's my go-to. There you go, buddy. That's great. Yeah. I mean, that is just a, a fantastic book. I, I, uh, I got to put it on my Audible so I can re-listen to it again. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So I, I could totally go down mindset all day long. We're probably going to have to do two podcasts. Um, but I, I do want to bring in some kind of just like, like you know, tips, tricks, like actionable things that people can do with regard to their, their fitness, their nutrition, um, just their day-to-day. -day. Kind of to, I think, a good way to answer a lot of those in one fell swoop is, you know, looking at you, you've obviously put a lot of time and research into figuring out what's best for you. And everybody's going to be a little bit different. We're all individuals. But just kind of walk me through like a, a day, man. Like what does 24 hours look like in the life of metabolic Mike? Well, from the time you wake up, to the time you go to sleep, what do you do and how do you condition yourself? And, and what does the day-to-day -day task consist of? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, one of the things that I like to kind of reframe things along is like if I'm going to train that day or if I'm not going to train. So, you know, I like to eat, I like to look at food as like fuel for my body. And if I'm not really like if I'm traveling, uh, whatever, then I'm not going to eat as much on that day. I might fast more or just have one meal. So I think it's, it, you know, sometimes we get wrapped up in the macros. We do, we, we get, find some macro calculator online and I think they do have value. But then we think every single day I have to have this many calories, this many whatever's and whatever. But we, we look at um, food. It's fuel. It's really, I mean, obviously it can repair and do all these other things, but it's really fuel. So. On days that I train, I'll have two, sometimes three meals. It really depends on how intense the training session is and how I feel. On days that I'm not training, I try to just have one meal. And so that keeps the body guessing a little bit uh, and so forth. But a typical day would, you know, I get up around six, do the cold plunge, meditate. Um, I like to read a lot of like inspiring things and, and, and hop in front of this juve light, which is a, a way to photobiomodulate your mitochondria. It basically light has a way to affect our body and the, the different wavelengths of this light um, have just have a profound impact on how they affect the mitochondria. And I was really skeptical of this photobiomodulation thing. Um, so I did my a hormone test where I tested my free testosterone, total testosterone, sex hormone, binding globulin, estrogen, all that before I bought the light. And then uh, 90 days after, and my free and total testosterone more than doubled, which really surprised me. So this, the, 
part this light therapy as part of the morning routine after getting in the full plunge. And then I'll usually um, I do the light for about and 10 minutes. That's with all those minutes, things full naked. Yeah, that's the thing. I didn't train, I didn't change anything. That was crazy. And I posted this on my Instagram. A lot of people were doubtful and skeptical and all that. This is totally real. Wasn't taking anything else because I wanted to really see. Because a lot of people you see on Instagram, this whole juve light. Do you have one, Robert? No, no, I'm, I'm not even uh, familiar with it. It's it's J U V E. Yeah, it's, I think it's J O O V V Juve, and we see this in the space. And I learned it from Ben Greenfield. I went to his house in February, and he has three of them, like in a like a half square kind of thing, if you will. And so he's talked a lot about it. And you know, he's a year older than me. He's 37, and you mm -hmm. know, sitting there talking to him in an interview in person, he really like exemplifies health. I mean, he's got like no wrinkles on his face, full head of hair. Not that all these things are, you know, there's healthy people with wrinkles and, and no hair. I'm not saying this, but you know, he really just looked young for his age and his mind was working very sharply. And so I thought, you know what, I'm just going to buy this light. I use his affiliate code, whatever. And I've been really impressed with it. My wife's 43. And so for her skin health and all that, she doesn't want to go down the Botox route that a lot of women in their forties do. And, and she, she's noticed just huge shifts in her, um, skin health and all that. So anyway, long story short, part of the morning routine, cold plunge, um, you know, doing the juve light meditation right after that. And then we have, um, 17 chickens, two turkeys and a pig. So I go out there and like part of my routine is I love just connecting with animals, seeing how they're doing, feeding them. Um, you know, and part of doing that, like we talked about earlier, like a lot of people can just stay at home and order everything on Uber Eats not have to get outside part of that is me just getting my my body outside seeing the sun getting the animals ready then i'll usually so I, you know i've been up for about an hour hour and a half then i'll have like a bulletproof style coffee so just uh french press coffee with a tablespoon of butter and oil things like that and then depending upon if i'm going to train or not um that will determine if i'm going to have a meal um so like today you know it's almost 11 here my time i haven't eaten anything besides the bulletproof style coffee I'm going to train at noon. So I like to have a little bit of protein beforehand. So I have some elk that uh, my neighbor got in the slow cooker. So I have some elk um, with half an avocado or an avocado. So it's pretty low carb. And then I know this is a little different, but when I work out, I like to have a little bit of carb with me. So I'll have like half a banana. I'll, I'll just slowly chew on it. And there's some good research um, actually showing that like people can tolerate more pain and, and more can put out more physical work by just having a small amount of sugar in their mouth. And so I'm not going to like have sugar, but I have a little bit of banana and I just have it swooshing around my mouth. And I find that like, you know, I'm still burning fat for coolers. It's not like I just down the whole banana in one, one thing. Um, but just having that small amount of carbohydrates kind of touch my tongue, it seems to affect the amount of work that I can do. So I don't feel, you know, like your relative perceived exertion feels a little differently. So, you know, mm -hmm. I'll train, work out, and so forth. Um, you know, some days if I'm really, you know, doing legs and deadlifts and back, then I'll have a, a shake, like a, a grass-fed whey protein uh, afterwards, and then I'll have another major meal about, you know, an hour later or something along those lines. And we try to have, eat, you know, try to eat with the family. So we'll sometimes have like soup that Deanna makes. We'll have slow-cooked beef and things in the slow-cooker crock pot. Uh, we do have the chicken, so I have a lot of uh, just egg yolks. I don't really do well with the whites. For some reason, they mm -hmm. break out. I have no idea why. So sometimes I'll have, you know, another breakfast. If it's not like, you know, elk or grass-fed beef, I'll have like seven or eight egg yolks with a little bit of avocado. 
and some onion. That's like one of my favorite breakfasts or and even dinner. Sometimes we do that. And then I try to, one of the things that I try and do is just compress my feeding window. I don't really do a lot of intermittent fasting per se, because I'm not trying to like lose weight necessarily, but I like benefits of autophagy and everything like that. So I try to just compress it down to about eight hours a day. So, you know, um, we'll cut off and I, I sleep so much better if we eat earlier. So one of the things that I learned from bike racing, this is a common theme is eat early and sleep early. And so I like to just eat by like eat dinner by six or six 30 or something like that. And, you know, last night we, we were out hiking and walking around. So we didn't eat dinner till like eight 30. I was thinking about just fasting, but I didn't eat lunch either. So I'm like, man, I really, and I was hungry and I trained. So that's just a tip for people is like, when, when you start eating earlier in the day, not necessarily having breakfast if you're not a breakfast person, but just eating dinner earlier, your sleep scores go through the roof and you'll realize that you're not craving as much the next day and you're recovering and all that good. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, with regard to sleep, like if I have a big meal and the way my schedule's kind of been lately, I've, I've eaten a lot of my calories prior to going to bed, like immediately before going to bed and I feel much more tired and, it, and it's easy to assume that you're going to sleep better because it's like you hit the pillow and you're just more tired. But I wake up feeling much less rested when I do that. So I think the quality of the sleep is, is diminished. Yeah, that's interesting, huh? Yeah, uh, let's just talk about sleep, man, because you, you've done quite a bit of research into sleep, like the, the mouth taping. I have yet to try this, um, but I've had several people point to you and say, this this works, and it, and it changed the way I sleep. I, I sleep much better, I have a better quality sleep, and I feel more refreshed upon waking. So so kind of dive into that. I'm, I'm going to try that tonight, by the way. Oh, sweet, dude. Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, get you some recommendations on that. But, you know, it's just, I learned this from a, a sleep specialist, a dentist, Mark Verhenna. And literally when he was talking about it, I thought he was kidding. And, and so I, but then I tried it that night. And basically the, the quick biology of this is a lot of us, when we're sleeping, um, if we're not breathing through our nose, what happens is our mouth, we're breathing through our mouth. And the thing that a lot of people don't understand is when you're sleeping, the way that the body repairs itself is you're temporarily like paralyzed. And we've all had that dream where like the bad guy's coming and we can't run, we can't move or we get into a fight in our dream and we literally can't move. And, and that's because our body becomes paralyzed as a way to repair itself. And so during the rapid eye movement and deep phases of sleep, uh, you know, the neurologic signals to our muscles and the rest of our tissues become literally disinhibited uh, as a way to repair. So check this out. If you're, if you're sleeping, you're having those great dreams, but you're breathing through your mouth, what happens is the muscles in your tongue become paralyzed too, just temporarily, right? And so what that causes your tongue to do is literally collapse on the airway and that creates hypoxia and it, it triggers this fight or flight stress response and it creates free radicals and it does all these nasty things. And so if we think about life as a spectrum, on the far end of the spectrum is sleep apnea, where literally people uh, are going through these every single minute, like multiple times they uh, are, are in an oxygen deficit and all that. that that's, that's the extreme side of sleep apnea. But a lot of us are kind of in the middle somewhere where we have this sleep disordered breathing where we don't really, we kind of wake up unrefreshed. We're like craving carbs and sugar and alcohol and caffeine. We don't really know why. And it's because, you know, we're breathing through our mouth while we're sleeping and our, our airway is getting clogged. So a way to kind of circumvent that is to just put a little tape over your mouth. And that literally forces your body to start to breathe through your nose. And when you're doing that, when you're in those really deep, phases of sleep where your muscles and your tongue muscle is like disinhibited and temporarily paralyzed, it, your airway is still open. And that's where a lot of people realize like, wow, I didn't even know I had a problem with my sleep or the way in which I 
was breathing while I was sleeping, but I tried mouth taping and oh my gosh, you know, my energy is through the roof. I'm burning fat now. I'm not craving all the crap that I used to crave um, and so on. So, you know, some people will say, well, why do we need to do this, Mike? Like, well, you know, shouldn't we just be able to breathe through our nose naturally? And it's like, yeah, we should. But a lot of us were not breastfed. And if you look at a baby while they're breastfeeding, they're breathing through their nose. And so that's one of the things that like one of the first ways that we start to kind of learn how to do this. And just the act of uh, breastfeeding causes our palate to develop. It causes our tongue to be in certain positions. So it has to do with like the developmental origins and way in which we were raised uh, and, and also how we were, we were born via C-section or vaginal delivery. That affects our microbiome and that affects how often, you know, a lot of people nowadays have a, a deviated septum. They have allergies to this, that, and the other thing. They're congested all the time. So literally their default mode is just breathing through their, their mouth. And yet they wonder why they can't lose the weight. They wonder why I tried keto, but it didn't work for me, right? And we hear these things all the time. And so it's not just about the diet. It's about your sleep, your sleep quality, how you breathe. And so there's a lot of good research showing that people that have sleep disorder breathing, remember they're breathing through their mouth while they're sleeping. Uh, they don't have yet sleep apnea, but their leptin levels are through the roof. And we know that leptin resistance causes food cravings and slows down our ability to oxidize fatty acids from our fat tissue. And so it's a huge lifestyle hack. It's amazing. You know, since interviewing Dr. Mark Bahena and then making just a few videos on it, they're literally now about three or four years old. I still get messages all the time on Instagram, on Facebook, and people are like, oh my gosh, I didn't know I had a problem. I thought this was a joke, but I tried it anyway. And now I'm doing this like every night and I just want to say thank you. And so I always want to give, you know, credit to where I learned it from, Dr. Mark Bahena. So check him out. He's over at askthedentist.com. You know, he's the guy that literally introduces to me, but I've just been, you know, excited to share the message because I didn't realize that, that I had this going on. And I, you know, when I turned 30, I started to get bags under my eyes. I'm like, why is this happening? What's going on? And I realized that I was breathing through my mouth all the time. And so, you know, Eating late can affect that because your stomach is kind of full and, and so on. Uh, drinking alcohol can dramatically affect your ability to, uh, you know, breathe properly while you're sleeping because you become more disinhibited and your mouth hangs wide open. Um, anytime someone snores, so if their spouse or partner or their kid is snoring or, you know, it, that is a sign of sleep disorder breathing. That means you're breathing through your mouth and that's going to cause these hypoxic events. So. Um, what a, waking up with a dry mouth is another sign and symptom. So sometimes people wake up and like, oh man, I can just taste my bad breath. What is up with that? That's, that's another sign that potentially you're breathing through your mouth. And so quick fix. There's a couple of tools out there. You can just go to any Rite Aid, any Walgreens. I've been in Canada. I've been in uh, the UK and have lost my mouth tape or ran out of it. Just get a micropore tape. There's sometimes like Walgreens or Rite Aid private labels, 3M stuff. 3M is the company. So any, any micropore tape and heck, I've even used duct tape, you know, in a pinch. I've used band-aids over my mouth. Like I, you can use anything just to keep your mouth shut. And it's like learning how to juggle, learning how to walk, you know, on one leg the first time. The first night you might have a little bit of, you might feel claustrophobic or like, man, what happens if, what happens if I puke? What happens if I, someone breaks into my house? Whatever. Like all those thoughts are going to go through your head. That's normal. It, after about a week, it's going to be. It's going to be a habit and you're going to be breathing through your nose while you're sleeping. You're going to be getting deep sleep. It's going to, you're going to be feel normal. But I remember the first night I tried it, I really wanted to take, tear the tape off because I had all these feelings of like, what if this happens or that happens? But it's, 
none of that has happened. Um, my daughter, I, we started taping my daughter's mouth when she was four years old, but she slept in the same bed with us. So if she were to choke or if she were to puke or whatever, we could be right there mm -hmm. because I noticed she would wake up and her head would be at our feet and then we'd be, have a foot in our mouth. And part of that is because she was literally trying to breathe. And I had a neurologist explain this to me. She was like, you know what, kids that, that are like wiggling everywhere, you know, throwing their arms, throwing their legs. It's because literally their tongue is collapsing on their airway and they're trying to breathe. And I was like, wow, like this is bad parenting if I don't tape her mouth shut because literally she could have developmental issues, obesity, all this stuff because she's not breathing white, right? And anyway, I'll finish it off with, I posted a picture of her. It was one of my most popular Instagram posts for whatever reason a couple of years ago. And all these parents were like, you're a bad parent. You're a bad dad. How dare you do this? You're going to kill your daughter. And I'm like, look, She's the most important person in my life. Like the last thing I ever would want is to harm her. And I'm trying to help her. And now she doesn't even need to use it anymore because we've like trained her body. And so because kids adapt so much faster, right? They learn languages quicker. Their brains, you know, learn things quicker. So now she just breathes through her nose. I go and check on her in the middle of the night and she's just still in the same spot, not snoring, breathing through her nose. So it's a powerful tool. I, I look at uh, like when I'm talking to people on the podcast, I was trying to pick apart you know, actionable things that I can use, you know, myself, obviously, as I'm sure the listeners do. And especially for me, like as a, as a bodybuilder, like contest prep, I'm, I'm looking to see what I can do to kind of get a leg up on the competition, just be better than I was the prior competition. And, you know, the hot and ther cold therapy and the mouth taping are three very tangible, actionable things that, you know, with all those things equal, I can see compounding to make a pretty substantial difference. I will definitely, definitely be incorporating these. Do you, do you track your sleep with like the aura ring or anything? I do. Yeah. So the aura ring is a great, great way. Um, so I definitely recommend that for people. Yeah. I, I started out because this was before the aura ring you know, was available, uh, with the app sleep cycle and, and that mm -hmm. kind of goes in your bedside table and stuff like that. Um, but what I didn't like about that is like your phone is right there. And so you kind of, you're going to bed, you're like, Oh man, should I check my email one more time? Should I look in Instagram or Facebook? And so, what I like, I, I try and keep my phone out of the room because it just, it's just like this, it's like a drug. It's right there. You got the whole world at your fingertips. So it's just so tempting to check in on stuff. And so with the aura ring, it's nice. You can put it in airplane mode. So it's not sending and receiving a bunch of, you know, uh, frequencies and all that. And then the other thing, and you might want to look into this too, Robert, is the elite HRV. Have you looked into that? Yeah. I've had several clients that are using it. Nice. Okay. So I do that first thing in the morning. So. I found, you know, because the aura ring, what it does is it looks at your sleep architecture, your REM sleep, your deep sleep and heart rate and all that. But it, it looks at your highest heart rate variability at one point in the night. And that's what it reports. I mean, it's continuously testing your heart rate variability, but it doesn't give you that data. And so that's why I like the elite HRV because first thing in the morning, I, I do two minutes. I do like 10 minutes of meditation and I hold it on and then I'll do just the two minute, what they call the open reading. And that gives me, sometimes there's a little bit of a difference between what the aura ring tells me on my heart rate variability and what this tells me, the uh, elite HRV. But it was pretty interesting. Like uh, a week, I did this powerlifting competition on Sunday. And so last week I did rested, didn't train much, just like two days, really light. And my heart rate variability kept climbing, climbing, climbing up and up. It was really interesting. So um, if folks are interested, those are tools that I generally, generally recommend, you know, heart rate variability. And you'll see when you switch to a keto diet, your heart rate variability increases, at least in most people. Do you change what you do like through a day with your just day-to-day -day activities and your training based off of that heart rate variability throughout the night? Yeah, I do. Um, 
And so there's actually been a few different studies on that where coaches, sometimes coaches, whether it's in elite sports, cycling or bodybuilding, just have you follow a program. And uh, no matter what you, you just, you do those weights, you know, and these lifts based on percentage of your max theoretical or whatever. Um, but, but I found that when I started adapting, um, like if my HRVs in the tank, whatever, I would just like either not train that day or not push it like I should have pushed it. And I found that my strength continued to progress. And there's uh, Marco Altini. He created the app HRV number four training, which is free. So if people can't afford elite HRV, if they can't afford the aura ring for whatever reason, just check out, you can use this using the, um, the camera on your phone. It can track your heart rate variability. So I interviewed him a few years ago and he's been involved in a few different studies where cyclists, and these were more endurance based sports, but athletes mm -hmm. that, that had coaches that follow their heart rate variability, those athletes perform better on race day compared to people that just follow just a general training kind of program that wasn't customized based upon how they were re recovering. So yeah, I mean, that's why I like HRV because it's a great proxy and to see how your body is recovering from the workout and. If it starts to dip down, you're overreaching a little bit too much and you need to pull it back a little bit. Gotcha. Gotcha. No, I'm, I'm going to get the elite HRV. I haven't got the aura ring yet. Um, I just, I just ordered like a sleep tracking pad that I put under my mattress that's supposed to give me some data, but I'm, I'm taking a keen interest towards sleep and recovery. Cause I, I honestly think, you know, with keto specifically, I don't sleep as much, but I think the quality of that sleep is, is vastly improved from what it was when I was eating carbs, but I want to, really hone in on that and dial it in because I, I'm, I don't want to lose any productive hours by sleeping too much and not being a quality sleep. I want to just, you know, shorten that sleeping window as much as I can and just optimize that time so that I can be more productive when I'm awake and, you know, my body can recover better while it's asleep. Mike, there's literally like, I don't know, another hundred questions I've got for you, man, but it's been an hour <laughs> in already and I, I want to be respectful of your time, but I definitely, definitely want to do a round two podcast with you because the, like I said, there's just so much that we haven't even covered yet. And I, I think I think a lot of other people would be interested as well. Sure, buddy. I'd be happy to do so, man. That'd be awesome. Let's let's plan on it for sure. In the meantime, though, where, where can people go to find out more about you, man? Yeah, Robert, I appreciate that. Um, so it's mostly, you know, I'm big on YouTube. And as you mentioned, Instagram, it's all one place. High Intensity Health uh, is my website. High Intensity Health on YouTube. But the, the catch is my, my Instagram handle is Metabolic Mike. Or if, if people just type in Mike Mutzel, they'll pull it up. And uh, yeah, if, if people enjoy this content, you can just say hello as a comment or send me a direct message. And I'd love to hear from you guys. Love sharing content. You know, we do a lot of behind the scenes, just real world stuff, feeding the chickens, turkeys, and lifting weights. I mean, we try and keep it real around here. So happy to connect with anyone. We'll have to do a we'll have to do a trade off, man. Like you have to come down here to Arkansas sometime, and uh, I don't know, do something, go hunting, we'll go training or something, and then I'll come up there to, to Seattle and feed the chickens. I would love to do that, man. Yeah, you know, I love Arkansas. I've been to Little Rock once. But the people were so nice. Like everyone that I met was so nice. And I, I had a great time. There was, I, I remember the, uh, there was a big football game that weekend. It was like a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. So I, I love Arkansas. And um, yeah, well, let's, let's make it work, buddy. I want to get you on my show for sure too. Yeah, man, we'll do it. And we'll, we'll get you back on here. So we'll, we'll be in touch in the very near future again. I, I got a feeling. Awesome. Appreciate it. All right. Take care, Mike. Thanks, buddy.